This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardoj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan and the Midwest, we are honored to welcome to this program a tireless warrior for the great cause of freedom and a great American, Senator Jim DeMint. Senator Jim DeMint is the founder and chairman of the Conservative Partnership Institute in Washington, D.C. DeMint represented South Carolina in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate. Known for policy entrepreneurship, he authored leading conservative reforms to health care, education, taxes, and entitlements. DeMint garnered national acclaim from conservatives for leading efforts to ban congressional earmarks, which had been the source of billions of dollars of wasteful spending for decades and led to corruption and widespread abuse. He also successfully led the fight to stop the McCain-Kennedy amnesty bill in 2007. Senator DeMint is the founder of the Senate Conservatives Fund, which played a major role in the election of many of the Senate's leading conservatives like Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, Ron Johnson, and Tom Cotton among others. And indeed, it's our great pleasure to welcome to America's Roundtable, Senator Jim DeMint. Welcome to you, sir. Welcome, Senator DeMint. Thank you both, Joel and Natasha. It is wonderful to be with you. Thanks for, for having me today. Senator DeMint, according to a published report, researchers from a university consortium of Northwestern, Harvard, Northeastern, and Rutgers surveyed more than 24,000 of our fellow Americans across the nation between November 3 and 30. The survey found that 69% of Trump voters and 11% of Democrats lack confidence in the fairness of the 2020 presidential election. The study states, and I quote very briefly, the survey showed large partisan gaps of 40 percentage points in public's concern about mail-in fraud, 85% of Republicans and 38% of Democrats on inaccurate or biased vote counts, 84% of Republicans and 44% of Democrats. And on the issue of illegal votes from non-citizens, 81% of Republicans and 34% of Democrats. Senator DeMint, last week the House voted for H.R. 1 which is a bill of some 800 pages that conservative state will undermine the First Amendment. Senator DeMint, when examining H.R. 1 and now the Senate's Bill S-1, what should our fellow Americans be aware of in regard to this unconstitutional voter reform bill? Well, thank you, Joel. And actually, Scott Prasmussen, who is one of the most respected pollsters uh, just did a poll that uh, came out very similar to some of the data that you were just mentioning. In fact, if you take the the last two presidential elections, only one in four voters are confident that the right person was declared the winner. And just 56% of Americans believe at least one of the last two presidents was uh, illegitimately put in office. So whether it's Republicans or Democrats, 
Americans have lost confidence in, in how we do the voting, particularly at the presidential level. And Joel and Natasha, if we step back from this issue for a moment and realize what we try to do when during elections, if you remember, the traditional way in America is for folks to register to vote in advance so that their signatures, their addresses, and everything can be verified over a couple of months. Because it's important where you live, it depends on who you can vote for in local and state and even congressional elections. So the whole process is designed to keep third parties between the voter and their ballot. So when you arrive at the voting booth on election day, you sign in so that your signature can be verified with your registration. Uh, You get a ballot put into your hands. You go behind a curtain so no one can interfere with how you vote. Campaign people are not allowed within several hundred feet of the election. So the whole idea is, is to protect the voter and their ballot. This last election was done like no other in history. Millions of ballots were mailed out unsolicited to people. Some people got two or three ballots at their home or one in their office and one at their home. This is designed to create chaos, and it certainly created a lot of suspicion, which is well-founded in our country. So the idea of people voting in person with a legitimate identification is very important to our voting process. That doesn't mean we can't make exceptions for people who are ill or not mobile, but to to build a whole election system like HR1 does, almost it eliminates the mandates for in-person voting. It virtually eliminates the photo ID requirements that many states are trying to do. And this is really ridiculous because you can't get on an airplane or check into a hotel without a photo ID now. And so I'm concerned when when Americans cannot trust their election system, then our whole democracy begins to fall apart. H.R. 1 does nothing except codify the irregularities of the last election. And so people are going to be less confident in the elections uh, when you turn over how districts are formed to uh, unelected officials, when you don't require in-person voting, when you don't require verifiable IDs. This is designed just to create a crisis in America. And in fact, you were so right by stating these various statistics, Senator DeMint. In fact, America's allies, Israel, the Middle East beacon of democracy in India, the world's largest democracy of 1.3 billion people, and they have 911 million registered voters, they all require voter ID and ban unsolicited mail-in voting, uh, which we did in the past elections. Senator DeMint, every day we are experiencing attacks on a freedom of speech, and they're being influenced by biased media. Uh, The mainstream media and big tech decide what kind of information we can see, what kind of opinions are we supposed to make, what is acceptable and what not in the public discourse. Uh, They are undermining free speech, censoring independent voices, and subverting the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment. This kind of censorship, which feels like we live in an authoritarian regime of communist Eastern Europe, 
rather than in the United States of America, is being encouraged and expanding, with most recent example including removing of the documentary film about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas from Amazon streaming service. Senator DeMint, what needs to happen in order to stop these violations of the U.S. Constitution and for us to get back to upholding the right to free speech and the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution? Natasha, it's a great question. It's one of the most serious problems in our country today. And it's it's gone from just censoring people on the social media, but to banning out books. And that was something that was always free in America, regardless of how bad it was or whatever. People could publish the books and share their own opinions. But now we've got these big tech companies that have a monopoly that's more the problem than anything else. If we had a real market where people had many choices, then we don't need to tell private companies what they can put on and what they don't have to put on. But the anti-monopoly laws in our country were set up just for this. And I'm proud that my senior colleague at the Conservative Partnership, Rachel Bovard, for the last uh, year has been leading an effort to pull together a lot of conservative groups and media groups to come up with solutions of how to break up big tech and establish the freedom of speech in America again. We were looking for alternatives to breaking them up for months, but there's really not an alternative because these companies are not only censoring No matter how much pressure we put on them, they continue to do it. And if the president of the United States can be cut off, completely censored by these companies, then any of us can. And I think we don't know of much of the censorship that's going on today. And it's certainly one-sided because the left can put everything from pornography to hate speech on and it's not censored. But just like you said, there's no finer person than uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And during Black History Month, to take off his documentary is something that's just shameful. So we've got a huge problem, and if we cannot speak freely in the country, we cannot be free. So we're going to continue to work on that at the Conservative Partnership as well as election integrity. Uh, We've brought on one of the the finest legal minds in the country, uh, Cleta Mitchell, to help lead the election integrity effort across the country. And so we've got a lot to do with the, the Biden administration and the left pushing the back against our basic rights as Americans. Senator DeMint, and on another topic, a concern for our national debt. Our government is on an unsustainable path of constant increase of government spending, which is not covered by collected tax revenues. The deficits are covered by the combination of government borrowing and by printing money, which in the end leads to increasing our national debt and inflation. Our national debt today is over $27 trillion. According to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, the federal debt will be 102% of GDP by the end of this year, and their projection is that the debt will top 202% of gross domestic product over the next 30 years, with continued growth in entitlements and higher interest rates. When individuals and families behave so irresponsibly by constantly spending more than they can earn, they end up in bankruptcy. Senator DeMint, why is there lack of concern for our always increasing national debt? Natasha, that's a great question. 
Uh, it's one of the reasons that many conservatives uh, run for office is to deal with the spending and the debt, because everyone knows that you can't keep spending more than you're bringing in. Um, I mean, you can't do it as a family or a business. But what our federal government is doing is, as you so well pointed out, it's not just that they're borrowing more money. It's that our national bank is printing, or what they do now is expand the money supply and buy our own debt. And so we're, we're creating a Ponzi scheme, a, a house of cards, where the left knows that there's going to be a monetary crisis sometime in the future. We don't know when it's going to be. But you mentioned unsustainable. That word means it will not continue. And there's actually no concern now in Washington. We just passed nearly a $2 trillion package that we're going to have to print money to carry out. And no one seems concerned about the debt. And, and they're, they're bragging that this is what Americans want, but Americans don't know what it's going to do to them except give them free money. But it's probably a matter of months and certainly not more than a few years where this house of cards is going to come crashing down around all of us. We, we cannot have this level of debt as a free country and expect to continue in prosperity and freedom. In fact, uh, you're so right about those concerns, uh, Senator Dement. And in this final question, in the first month in office, Joe Biden signed more than 30 executive orders in nearly as many as the past four presidents combined at that particular point in their terms. And in fact, there is an additional 20 directives and memos from the Biden White House. Senator Dement, when we look at the executive branch's overreach and its schemes to bypass the legislative body, what can a America's state governments and governors do to block this unconstitutional push and avalanche of directives from the Biden administration? Great question, Joel. Our country was never intended to have a national government where decisions for all the states were regularly made by a federal government. We are the United States that have come together for mutual protection and defense and shared commerce. But we need states now to step up and take their constitutional role to push back against the federal government. It's one of the reasons I support the effort that's called the Convention of States, where states come together and actually shape amendments uh, to the Constitution that can rein in the power of the federal government. Years ago, I wouldn't have thought that's necessary, but the things we've discussed today tell us that it is, that we're going to keep spending until we destroy our currency and way of life. People have lost confidence in our national elections, and our, our whole freedom of speech has been threatened. So my hope over the next year or two is that we will get responsible states to form coalitions to push back against the federal government on these issues. They're talking about a minimum wage now. But every state is different in different cost of livings. There, there's no reason why states can't have their own minimum wage that fit the people who live there. So I'm counting on states all over the country, strong uh, legislatures, hopefully governors who lead to get states to come together. It only takes a few to come together to make a difference. You have to have 34 to propose amendments. That's in our Constitution that our founders knew there would come a day when the federal government would get out of control. And that's why they allowed uh, states to come together and propose amendments 
that uh, 38 states have to ratify. So this is no easy process. But I think we have over 30 states now who are trying to be responsible with their spending and how they deal with their pensions. And if if they don't come together, they're going to be paying the bills for New York and California and Illinois and all the states that are being irresponsible now, uh, particularly with these lockdowns and what they're doing with coronavirus. Senator DeMent, thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Senator DeMent. Thank you, Natasha and Joel. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.